Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. Brother Ben here with a very special guest. Tonight, we'll be talking about the wickedness of Zionism. You don't want to miss it. It starts right after this. September 16th, 2019, 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Welcome, everyone, to episode 9 of my podcast here on YouTube.com slash Ben the Baptist. The show is also available on the Stitcher radio app and also on Apple Podcasts. Just use the keyword Ben the Baptist, all one word. Joining me for the very first time on my YouTube channel, I've never hosted a live stream with him. Folks, he's a good friend of mine from Steadfast Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, staying up late with me by his standard here on this Monday night, and so I really appreciate that. Folks, put your hands together. I don't care where where you are right now. If you're in your living room, stand up and give this man a round of applause right now. Brother Graham Arpin from Steadfast Jacks joins me live. Brother Graham, how are you doing tonight? I'm great, Brother Ben. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good myself, and I apologize, folks, for the slight technical issue. Before I went to the intro package, I accidentally put the camera on Graham for a second there, and that was kind of a funny botch. But anyway, we're live by hook or by crook here on the program. The topic for the evening is the wickedness of Zionism. What we'll be discussing is this false doctrine that the Jews are God's chosen people, that because of who their daddy is, we're all supposed to respect them as God's chosen people. And one day, according to Zionist doctrine, they're all going to be saved and inherit the Israel that Jesus presides over from Jerusalem, his millennial kingdom, and eventually the new Jerusalem by virtue of their DNA. That is absolutely false. We'll be talking about replacement theology on the program, and I'm going to ask Brother Graham when he first started believing in replacement theology, when he, quote, woke up about this issue. I'll ask him about what he thinks when it comes to Christians who cling to this Zionist doctrine for their dear lives. He's interacted with them, and so we'll get his opinion on that. What he hates the most about Zionism, of course, I'll be uh, getting involved in that discussion, as well as everything else on this list as well. 
what his favorite verses are and my favorite verses are that debunk Zionism. We'll get into some scripture and then how this will play a part, how Zionism is going to play a part in the end times. Make no mistake about it. This is an end times heresy as well as we see how it's going to be used to bring in the Antichrist. We'll get into a lot more detail, including some current events. Brother Garam's going to share some articles he found on this later on tonight. And so it's going to be a lot of fun, folks. You're going to want to stay tuned for the entirety of the stream. But let's not waste any time, Brother Graham. To start things off, I want to ask you this question. When is it that you started to believe in replacement theology? When is it that you realized that you've been lied to about the fact that the Jews are God's chosen people, which is not a fact, it is heresy. What led to you waking up about this? Well, I think it all began uh, early on. Uh, I found out about uh, after the tribulation on Alex Jones. I found out about Pastor Anderson. And I've always been a, a part of the old IFB movement. And so whenever I heard after the tribulation, it really made me start thinking about a lot of different things that I had been taught my whole life in a Baptist church. And so after watching after the tribulation, I just really started to question a lot of things that had been taught to me. And obviously with your guests last week, uh, these two doctrines, the pre-trib rapture and Zionism, they prop each other up one more so than the other, I think. But uh, once, once, pre-trib came down. Uh, it wasn't shortly thereafter that where I, I figured out this whole thing about the Jews and God's chosen people. Well, you know what? It's interesting because there are so many Baptists out there who just cling to this doctrine for their life, and they won't get rid of it. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you show them. They just believe what they've been taught by their pastor and they regurgitate the slogans, God's not done with Israel, and all the rest of it. And uh, they're just a bunch of Judaizers. In your interactions with these people, just tell me how it's gone for you. Because I don't know about you, Brother Graham, but when I learn something new, when I figure something out, when the light bulb goes off in my head about a particular doctrine, the first thing I want to do is tell my loved ones, is I want to tell people within my sphere of influence, if you will. I want to tell them about what the Bible says about this. You know, you just have that urge, especially when I first got saved. That's what I wanted to do. So when you brought this truth to some of the Christians you know, whether it's online or face-to-face, what's been the reaction from them? Oh, they reject it right away. I mean, basically it all boils down to what the Bible says in Colossians 2.8, where it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And unfortunately, you know, as good-hearted as most Christians are, they have been spoiled through the philosophy and the vain jangling of this doctrine. And, you know, it just makes it really hard to break through that conditioning that they've had to show them what the Word of God says about it. They would rather look at the notes in the Schofield Reference Bible, or they would rather go pull a book off the shelf that they have at their house where it just goes through all of this verbiage to get you to understand through the lens of Zionism, you know, 
how it all fits together. And so when you just take a simple verse and you show them, you know, hey, look at this, what do you think about this? It just kind of blows their mind and they can't comprehend it because, you know, they've been spoiled through that philosophy. And you have a book there. You showed it to me before we went on the air. This is a book that's been used by people to try and prop up the Zionist doctrine, things to come. Describe what that is, because oftentimes these people, they won't go to the Bible to defend themselves. They won't go to the Word of God. They don't know any scripture. They can't take you to Galatians 3 or Galatians 4 or Romans 9, because obviously those scriptures completely dismantle their argument. So instead, they give you man's wisdom in these books. What is that book? Well, this book here particularly was a book that my uncle used in Bible college. And uh, he bought this book for me several years ago when I started talking about the rapture and Zionism at the dinner table when we would get together once a week. And, uh, you know, so he bought me this book, you know, because he couldn't explain his own doctrine, basically, and said, here, try to figure it out yourself. This is this is what we believe. And so anytime it comes up in conversation about you know, whatever it's, we, they refer back to this book. And, you know, I asked, I texted Pastor Major and uh, maybe some of the other pastors in the movement that have went to Bible college to see if this was a book that they still use. And so I, they didn't use any of these books in Bible college. So I think maybe if you have an old IFB pastor and he has gray hair, he probably used this book in Bible college. But I don't think it's something that they use today. But again, as you go through the book, I've been reading it a little bit, trying to wrap my head around how they go through. And, you know, in this book, they basically, he basically teaches the five different rapture doctrines. And then he goes through and he explains how each one of them are right or wrong. And there is a post-tribulational pre-rapture position in here, but because it's misrepresented because they have they assume that the tribulation is seven years so it's a false representation of what the bible truly says yeah absolutely right and one thing i think that's worth mentioning as well is <laughs> when it comes to that book the straw man arguments right brother yeah. graham is yes. the, the, and you mentioned it there they bring up a it's like they give the token post trib argument in there when it's talking about the different positions about the rapture but it totally misrepresents it because, of course, in their mind, the tribulation is seven years long instead of what the Bible teaches, which is that the tribulation and God's wrath are two completely different things, and that the tribulation is actually three and a half years plus 75 days of great tribulation. But let me ask you this. When it comes to which doctrine to attack first, I've gone back and forth between you should get rid of the pre-trib first, then Zionism— but there have been other times where I thought perhaps you should go after Zionism first and then the rapture. Which one do you think should be the first false doctrine that you destroy when you're trying to wake somebody up and convert them? I would say Zionism because of this book especially, as I've been reading through it, he basically, there's a part in here where he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. And he basically says in that book, Look, if you do not fully understand the Abrahamic covenant, you're not going to understand how that applies to 
end times Bible prophecy. Yeah. So I would I would definitely say you know you got to break in the in the mind of the Zionist pre-trib person who just the regular person that sits in a pew at a church somewhere. If you can bring down the Zionism view, then the pre-trib rapture will follow that because all of that stuff in the Abrahamic covenant that they distort is setting up that pre-trib rapture and it's hiding the coming of the Antichrist. And, you know, they're not looking for that. They're, they're thinking, hey, we're going to be gone any minute. So they're not even worried about what the Antichrist is going to do. Well, I want to say hello to the chat room here real quick, real quickly. We've got KJV Bible Thumper 1611 listening live. Brother Frank, thank you, Brother Frank, for tuning in. That's a good guy right there. Brother Frank, you better be ready. Keep that cell phone handy because eventually I'll be calling you. I, I need guests, okay? So <laughs> I need somebody to come out here with me. Uh, Frank, you might be uh, on soon. Heath Hendricks, as as usual, the uh, you know he's a, a loyal uh, fan, loyal listener. Appreciate you, Brother Heath Hendricks. William Edward Hackman, Dave Kiefer, B. Hersey, Two Don, uh, Javier Ramos, Maria YouTube One Hundred, another super fan in there and some other people as well. So thanks for tuning in live. We really appreciate it. Now we're going to talk about what we hate the most about Zionism. The reality is all false doctrine angers me, okay? And I'm sure, Brother Graham, you feel the same way. But Zionism has certain qualities that really just grind my gears. And if I have to pick one thing, it would be the glorification of Christ rejecting Jews. That pisses me off the most. A bunch of Christ-rejecting, Christ-hating, Christ-blaspheming Jews who worship, you know, a false, they worship a false god, Shekinah, which is the female aspect of God. They believe in a book that says Jesus is burning in hot excrement in hell, folks. That just makes me want to puke, just, you know, repeating that. And yet we've got People who claim the name of Christ, who claim to believe the Bible, who claim to worship the God of the Bible and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, for them to glorify Christ-hating Jews, it makes me want to bash my head into the nearest wall. I don't understand it. The Bible says, who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. These people, these Jews, these Christ-hating, God-hating Jews are antichrist. They're liars. They shouldn't be put on a pedestal, Brother Graham. They should be rebuked for following a false, wicked, satanic religion. And yes. the part, the, the, the aspect of Zionism that gets me the most pissed off frankly, is when Baptists, Bible-believing so-called Baptists, will put these people on a pedestal. When they, when, they be, when they become Judaizers, and they glorify Judaism, and they glorify the Jews, and they glorify the yarmulke, and they glorify all their traditions and the Wailing Wall, because they're God's chosen people, we need to pray for them. Well, you know what? If they die without Christ, they're going to go straight to hell. Graham, you can give your thoughts now, but I, I think that's, to me, that, that that's the one that just gets me. You know what I mean? These are yeah. Christ-hating, God-hating Jews, 
And they're practically worshipped by these Zionist Baptists. Yes, they are. And uh, I, I think the part that disturbs me the most about it is, especially when you're looking at a Genesis 12 and a Galatians 3, I think it takes away glory from Jesus Christ and the fact that he was that seed that was promised to Abraham. Not, not these bunch of Christ-rejecting people over in Israel today. And so it just takes away from the glory of our Lord and Savior, Savior Jesus Christ that he should be getting, not these people over there that headbang towards a wall that you know was destroyed a long time ago. And so I, I think that's something that really just bothers me, and I think it doesn't register with people also in the fact that, you know, the fact that the nation, the physical nation, was replaced by the spiritual nation of believers, and the fact that, you know, it kind of takes away from us as well is the fact that we are God's chosen people and that we've been designated now to carry the light of the gospel into the future. And so those are the things that really bother me, and it, it kind of makes it where, you know, Christians today are secondary citizens, if you will. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, but we're the ones who are actually going out and preaching the true word, preaching the gospel, and having people say, these people over there today, they hate Jesus Christ, and they hate the word of God. And so nothing there is getting accomplished for the Lord in any way. You preached on Matthew 28, and you ripped on the Jews a little bit in your sermon, and you talked about the conspiracy they came up with to try and get people to believe that Jesus didn't actually rise again. And you ripped on the religion, the false, satanic, wicked, devil religion of Judaism in that sermon, Brother Graham. And some watered-down little sissy Christians would get offended at what you said because they would make the argument that your rhetoric is just a little bit too extreme and hateful. But if they believe that about you, Brother Graham, that they ought to believe that about the Apostle Paul who said this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, for ye, in verse 14, For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, verse 15, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. And so the true spiritual seed of Israel, the Israel of God, they were persecuted by the unsaved Israel that is at, that you know of the flesh. And they're contrary to all men, according to the Apostle Paul here, according to the Word of God here in 1 Thessalonians 2.15, speaking, of course, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Now that sounds, quote, anti-Semitic, doesn't it? Here's the thing. That term, Brother Graham, is meaningless. It's a smear word that they use for anyone who doesn't bow down to this disgusting, false religion. Brother Graham, I'm sure you've gone soul winning. I don't know if this is happening, but I've gone so long, Brother Graham, where somebody tried to stop me from giving the gospel, and it's, it's just infuriating. That's what the Jews were doing, according to Paul there. Yes. And, you know, the Bible says that they're enemies of the gospel. 
So that's no surprise there. And I mean, I myself have basically been kicked out of a Baptist church. I wasn't going around talking about this doctrine to other people there, but just because the pastor knew that I believed this doctrine, that he just constantly just, I mean, he just always was looking for ways to poke me and prod me and just to the point where I was like, you know, I just need to find somewhere else to go. This guy's making it impossible to serve the Lord here. And, uh, you know, so there's nothing new under the sun, right? This is the kind of things that we can expect if we're going to, you know, take the word of God and believe it for every word that's in it and preach it from the housetop. So for that, it's just, hey, it is what it is, and we just got to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, and the saints at Thessalonica were dealing with the same thing. They were dealing with persecution from these people. And so you see hard preaching against them all throughout Scripture. How about Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 23, basically calling them reprobates, saying, how can ye escape, asking, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? He rips their face off in Matthew chapter 23, one of the, my you know, favorite ch- uh, chapters in the whole Bible, for sure. So we see throughout the whole Bible that... Uh, these folks are just absolutely torn up by the prophets of God, by men of God, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and they were persecuting the apostles, Brother Graham. Just as sure as today, you can't go around preaching the gospel in Israel. How could it be God's chosen people if you can get punished for telling people about Jesus in Israel today? Because of Genesis 12 man that's it (laughs) that's all it boils down to i mean that's all these people have is genesis chapter 12. yeah and a horrible interpretation of it thinking it's talking about a physical lineage uh, when in reality it's talking about a spiritual seed and let's get into that what are some of your favorite verses that would debunk zionism i saw that you had a lot of notes there the tons of pages, so obviously we're not going to be able to hit everything, but if you could point to maybe just a couple of verses on that sheet or just a couple of verses off the top of your head that you really like that would point to what we're talking about, replacement theology, the idea that God's chosen people are not Christ-rejecting Israel. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. You are chosen by God, uh, or I should say, you are God's chosen people, same thing, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual seed, and it's a spiritual seed that goes all the way back to the beginning. Yes. So, I mean, the very first, my, I guess my favorite passage is Romans two twenty-eight and 29, where it says there, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, and not not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So I think that's probably my my favorite one. Although I would probably start, if I was trying to talk someone about Zionism and try to break through their conditioning, I would definitely start with Genesis 12, but then I would go to Galatians 3, and just kind of try to expound that to them and get them to see that you know, the promise that God was making to Abraham was that Jesus would come through that lineage and that anybody who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, Old and New Testament, is going to be that nation 
that God is promising to Abraham. A nation, of, a nation of believers, not unbelievers and things like that. So those would probably be my favorite. Of course, you know, like I said, I have pages of them here. Right. And uh, we could go through all those. We could be up to the wee hours of the night. But, you know, those would probably be my favorite. Yeah, those are some good scriptures right there. It's a spiritual nation that consists of Jew or Gentile, all different types of ethnicities and races. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. Physically, what matters is whether or not you believe on Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, there was a physical nation. People could immigrate to it and get circumcised and become part of that nation. And it was chosen by God in order to be a light to the Gentiles. But Jesus Christ said, the kingdom shall be taken from you and given forth to a nation bringing or given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And so uh, they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the Messiah. They broke the Old Covenant. As a result, God has chosen the spiritual nation in the New Testament. Okay? It's not that the spiritual nation came to be in the New Testament. It always existed. But the truth of the fact that the true remnant, the 7,000 men who haven't bowed to knee to Baal, is that spiritual seed, I think, came to light in a lot of those uh, scriptures you read there. Uh, And how about this one in Galatians chapter 6, where it makes that delineation. It says in verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God is the spiritual nation. The Israel of God is the chosen people. And you want to talk about, you know, a a spiritual nation, I think you can't leave out what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 2, where it says right here in Ephesians chapter 2, let's start, how about in verse uh, 11? Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself a twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off and to them that were nigh for through him. We both have access by one spirit unto the father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, your fellow citizens with the saints, your fellow citizens of a spiritual nation, which, by the way, I want to prove to you that it existed in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 45, let's uh, head there real quickly, Isaiah 45, this is so clear what it says in Isaiah chapter 45. Let's start in verse number, uh, let me see here, verse number 23. It says, I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. Then unto me every knee shall bow, every every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord 
shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Well, what seed is he talking about there? What is all the seed of Israel that's going to be justified and glory? Well, that's the spiritual seed that, like I said, goes all the way back to the beginning. And Galatians 3.29 says, If ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It's a spiritual seed, which is a part of the spiritual nation of Israel who are the chosen people of God. And guess what? During the millennium, the spiritual nation is going to inhabit a physical land as we rule and reign with Christ. And as far as the physical Israelites are concerned, Graham, hey, I don't deny it. God's not done with Israel. But you know what? When we say that, we mean something a little bit different than when the Zionists say it. Because Jesus himself said in explaining a parable, he said, Those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. Yes, I agree 100%. That's awesome. <laughs> there <laughs> Amen. you go. <laughs> Amen. Didn't How mean can to, you add to that? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's just biblical truth, right? It's irrefutable. So, I think so as well. Now, as Brother Graham said, we can go on and on about different verses that we, we would go to to try and disprove this. Obviously, you have, you have Romans 9. Uh, which talks about the fact that they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, making that distinction between the physical Israelites who were unsaved and spiritual Israel, the Israel of God, true Israel. Uh, so now let's get into how Zionism is going to play a part in the end times. You have some interesting articles you wanted to share with the people uh, tonight as well as we take a look at this. You know, Jesus said that they're not going to believe on him. They're going to believe on someone else. They're going to believe on the Antichrist. But Graham, I want to give you the floor now. Talk a little about the end times implications of this. So again, I just believe that, you know, because the Jews rejected Jesus Christ and that they're still looking for a Messiah to come, that this Messiah that is going to be coming next is the Antichrist. And that's who they're going to accept. And so, you know, as we look forward as to what's going to be coming down the pipeline, um, you know, with this whole new, this Israel coming back in 1948 and all that being a fulfillment of prophecy and everything, that they're just setting the stage and they're creating this place as we see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And if, if you want to turn there and read it, it, I can read it, whichever you want to do. You can you can and, go ahead. I'll turn there with uh, you. Okay. So in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I've got my Schofield reference Bible here. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so hey, turn a page. Turn a page 145. Schofield reference Bible. Yep, and on page... Uh, 1,271 in your Scopefield Reference Bible. You have uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll just start off in verse 1 where it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. So here we're talking about the rapture, and it's clearly saying that it's not at hand. And so that in and of itself just debunks the pre-trib position. But they hide that 
because what, what verse 3 says, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's the Antichrist. So it goes on to say in verse 4, it says, Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this Antichrist is going to come, and he's going to present himself in that temple that is going to be built in Israel. So all of this support of Israel and everything that's going on by these Zionist Christians, they're actually supporting the coming of the Antichrist. And they're helping, they're funding, they're helping the America supporting the establishment of Israel as a state over there in the Middle East and all that we do as a country to support that is just aiding and abetting the, the coming of the Antichrist. And so these articles that I have for you to show everyone just kind of show, you know, oftentimes at church we talk about some things seem like they're further down the road on the prophetic table than these things. And when you look at these articles, it's like, man, this could happen any day. And so it's kind of crazy to think about. But again, we don't have the blinders of the pre-trib rapture and Zionism. We're actually looking for these things to come as the Bible told us to. And so, if, uh, if you want to pull up the article there on the temple ready altar. Yes, let me, let me add one thing real quickly here. John okay. chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus said, I am, com- I am come in my Father's name, and, he- and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Who is going to come in his own name, by his own authority, Brother Graham? That's going to be the Antichrist. Well, there you go. Put that in your Zionist <laughs> pipe and smoke it. Let's take a look at your first article. Please, if you wouldn't mind, just repeat the, the headline for me. The, the Temple Ready Altar Dedicated. Okay. Temple Ready Altar Dedicated. That's from the Jerusalem Post, folks. Bear with me here as I get it pulled up and I speak into the microphone to prevent dead air. All right, here we go. This is it. The You should see it, Graham, as well. Courtesy yeah. of the Jerusalem Post. Brother Graham, tell the folks about this article. You sent it to me earlier. The headline's on the screen. Temple Ready Altar Dedicated on Last Day of Hanukkah by Activist Groups. Hanukkah. Oh. Yeah. Make sure you so, say Happy Hanukkah to every Jew you see. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah. So this is something I've kind of been keeping up with the past several years is every year they have the dedication feast. And last year they dedicated the altar that the sacrifices are going to be taking place on. And so if you go down into that article there, uh, there's a paragraph there for the audience to see where it says, although the Passover and daily sacrifices do not require a full temple, they must be done on an altar built according to the requirements of Jewish law and placed at an appropriate spot on the Temple Mount, believed to be several meters east of the Islamic Dome of the Rock Shrine. So there you see why we have all this turmoil over in the Middle East is because there's this gigantic land grab. And if you if you look at a map of Jerusalem, it's basically divided in half. And you have, you know, the Islamic Arabs on one side and you have <laughs> the, the Jews on the other. And I mean, it's just constant 
constant battle over there. And so, you know, that is the spot where that they want to set up this temple. But it was, as we see in this article, they said that they don't even need a full temple to start doing the sacrifice, the daily sacrifice. And so that's just kind of mind-blowing to think that, you know, they are, they're, they're getting geared up. They, they dedicated this altar last year. And uh, further down in that article, it goes on to say that he said the temple activists and organizations would begin animal sacrifices immediately if the state would allow it. So wow, that's just mind-blowing when you kind of stop and think about, you know, what the Bible talks about in Daniel where, you know, the Antichrist is going to make the daily sacrifice to cease. Right, so here, at they're, the they're midpoint. Trying, yeah, they're, so they're trying to get these sacrifices going, and so obviously we don't know how long the sacrifices are going to take place. But even the fact that they're already talking about doing sacrifices and over there, you can literally see Bible prophecy coming true right in front of your eyes right there. Yes. Well, Daniel chapter 8, I believe it's in verses 14 and, and 15. I could be wrong. I'll just flip there right now. But Daniel chapter 8 gives us a timeline on these animal sacrifices where it says in Daniel chapter 8, Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So this is what it's saying. What is going to be the time period in which there are animal sacrifices taking place, <clears throat> excuse me, taking place, and the temple is desolate or is, is trodden down, is defiled with the abomination of desolation. That's why it's, it talks about both of them. How long shall the vision be concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation? So we know that the transgression of desolation, the abomination of desolation, that begins at the midpoint. But it talks about it being 2,300 days in total. The abomination of desolation, along with the daily sacrifices beginning. So, if you were to plot this on your Daniel 70th week, it appears to be 250 days into the week when this starts. So, if we begin to see, and you talked about how this might be happening sooner rather than later, if we begin to see a daily sacrifice take place, I think that's when you could start your countdown clock. And recognize that we are now officially getting that much closer to the second coming of Christ. Uh, there was at least maybe been one seal opened at that point. Exactly. <laughs> so, but yeah, another article that you have there where they're actually going to do a sacrifice this month. Let's let's talk about it. What was the headline on that one? Uh, it's the nations invited for animal sacrifice on Mount of Olives. All right, let me pull that up for the people. Nations invited. Look at this Trump. Oh, by the way, I wanted to mention this on this one right here real quickly, not to just fool around, but I saw this ad. Where did it go? Where did this ad go? It looks like it refreshed. It probably changes, yeah. There was this ad with this effeminate-looking Jew wearing a golden Star of Rem fan necklace that I thought looked absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, let's just move on. Look, cartoon Trump. Oh, by the way, they love Trump over there, Brother Graham. There he oh, is. Yeah. 
Yep. There he is, Trump. They Zion Don. They love Jared Kushner even more. Oh, I'm sure they do. Go ahead. So just in that article, we see uh, that, um, let's see, I'm trying to find the date here. So the article was on September 2nd this month, but they're actually having the sac- sacrifices, I believe, on September 25th of this month, and they invited 70 nations to come and partake in it. Wow. So on September 25th, the 5,780th anniversary of the day in which the Jews tradition holds the world was created. The Sanhedrin is holding a conference for the emerging organization of 70 nations. The conference will culminate in an animal sacrifice made by representatives of the nations on the Mount of Olives in which they will renew the covenant made by Noah upon leaving the ark. What in the world? Bro, I'm telling you, it's crazy. They're going to do a sacrifice to renew the covenant? Now, if anybody, notice how it talks about the Noah's Noah's covenant there. And this will just be a side note for somebody to do at home on their own time. Um, is some of our former presidents and even Donald Trump has signed into law the Noahide laws. And I would just encourage somebody on their own time to kind of look into that a little bit because, you know, again, it's interesting that, you know, it, it's not Moses' law. It's right. Uh, Noahide. It, it, it's Noahide laws. And there's just some kind of weird things in there. Um, I haven't really went down that rabbit hole very far. But, you know, that, like I said, Donald Trump has signed those into law here in America. Wow. So, so it, it's it's a pretext of, you know, probably the mark of the beast and different things like that. And so, you know, they're they're definitely gearing up for things over there, for sure. Well, in Israel, they love Zion Don. They have him on a quarter, what yeah. or a coin, I should say, on the back of one of their coins, along with King Cyrus. They basically believe Zion Don is the reincarnation of King Cyrus, that he's going to be the man to to build the temple in Jerusalem that they're waiting for so that they can do the animal sacrifices. Although, according to that article, apparently they can do them without a temple. We'll see. But there was one other one, Brother Graham, where they're worshiping under the Wailing Wall. We didn't get to that yet, did we? No, we didn't. So let, let's talk about that real quickly here. Sure. So uh, underneath... And you can go there, if you actually go there and you visit this place, you can uh, do a walk through, or at least a walk into the outer area. This is it. Yeah. So there was an actual synagogue that they built underneath the Wailing Wall. And it has, if I remember correctly, it has 70 seats in there. So it's interesting that they invited 70 nations and I'm sure whoever the person that they invited from those 70 nations that they're going to occupy those 70 seats and they're going to go in there and they're going to worship Moloch and, uh, you know, then partake in their animal sacrifice and who knows what else. But there's more going on over there than, than meets the eye. And as people just wait for Jesus to come at any moment and continue funding and helping Israel do the things that they're doing over there. You know, all, all that's going to happen is this 
one world government, one world monetary system, and this one world religion. And that right there looks like the synagogue of Satan to me. Yes, the synagogue of Satan referred to directly by the Lord Jesus Christ, who are going to use up Babylon like a whore, and then discard her. The ten kings will burn the whore with fire, according to Revelation chapter number 17. And that'll manifest itself as nuclear warheads, in my opinion. The nation of Israel is going to play a huge role, obviously, when it comes to the end times. The Antichrist is going to rule from Jerusalem, and he's going to set up the abomination of desolation there after a fake death, burial, and resurrection that gets the masses to believe on him, that gets the masses to believe that he is, in fact, the Antichrist. But if you're one of these Zionist pre-tribbers, and you're seeing all this stuff go down, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them start to doubt their own salvation, thinking, hey, what happened? Why didn't I get raptured? What's going on here? You know, they're going to be very confused for a little while until the light bulb goes off for them. Right. Well, you know, we, we know that the Bible says that, hey, if it were possible, that they would even deceive the very elect. But thankfully, that's not going to happen. So I believe that these these Christians that are truly saved, that are, you know, duped with all this false doctrine, that they're going to start to catch on and figure things out. And uh, unfortunately, it'll be after they've emptied their own wallet to help uh, help out the situation. You're right, and you made an excellent point there. If you have the Holy Spirit, it's going to be impossible for you to be deceived by this, the false prophet and the Antichrist and all their, quote, miracles that they orchestrate to get people to be deceived by them. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very Elect. So they're not going to be able to. They're not going to be able to deceive the very elect who are the saved, not the Jews. We covered that last week, that Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse, Mark 13, Luke 21, is speaking to Christians who are saved, not speaking to Christ-rejecting Jews or tribulation Jews or whatever you want to call them. All Israel that's going to be saved, according to their stupid interpretation of Romans chapter 11, which I guess... Hey, you know, if you're Sarah Silverman... You get a second chance, Graham. You get a second shot if you make it to the end of the uh, seven-year tribulation, according to these people. Well, you know, according to their doctrine, I'm really glad that I was born a Gentile. Because with, with that doctrine, I mean, you just have to roll the dice and hope that you're born in that last generation. And I would really, ha I really hate it for all the Jews over the past 2,000 years who've lived and died who just aren't going to automatically be saved. It's unfortunate. Right. For well, it is. <laughs> but, you know, they're too busy with their, with their dumb animal sacrifices. Some of the articles you showed there, and we showed the people, they're doing animal sacrifices, and that's going to ramp up until they institute the daily sacrifice. And Christians support that. Christians send them money. Christians bow down to these people. Judaizers. Have they not read the Bible? What did the Bible no, say? They don't read the Bible, man. They don't read like, the Bible. When, when, you, when you ask earlier, you know, my interactions with other people about it, you know, we're blessed enough that when we go to church and we talk with our brethren at the church about the Bible, you know, 
that's what we do. But if you break out the Bible, I mean, the church we were attending before Steadfast Jacksonville started, we could, the service would end, we would be outside in the parking lot having fellowship, and you could literally hear the wheels squeal out of the parking lot, and we had to close the gate when we left. So there's no hanging around talking about the Bible, you know, they they don't st- they don't study their Bible, they don't read their Bible like they should, and when they do, they read it through the lens of these books where they're getting their vain philosophy and everything, and so, you know, it's just really unfortunate, and, uh, you know, that's what makes it hard to wake these people up to the truth. Well, the truth is there's no need for animal sacrifices anymore because the Bible articulates, it says in Hebrews chapter 9, for Christ was once offered. You don't need sacrifices anymore. For Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation, which is why if we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Jesus isn't going to die on the cross again for you. There aren't going to be any more animal sacrifices on your behalf. Those have been done away with and fulfilled in Christ. So now as a saved Christian, if you sin willfully after salvation, God's going to come down on you. He's going to cloud up and rain on your life. He will chasten you on this earth. According to Hebrews chapter number 12, verse 6, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. But Brother Graham, I thought we did a really good job tonight. We talked about replacement theology when you started to believe in it and your interactions with some Christians clinging to that false doctrine, what we hate the most about it, and of course some of our favorite verses that debunk Zionism in the Old Testament. God chose that nation of Israel, which was eventually split into the northern kingdom of Israel, which became Samaria after the invasion of Assyria, and the southern kingdom of Judah, thanks to Rehoboam and Jeroboam. But anyway, that nation was chosen in the Old Testament to be a light to the Gentiles, to be separate from the heathen nations. They failed in that regard, and in the New Testament, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the new covenant, that is what saves Everybody who's ever been saved is part of a spiritual nation. We learn in the New Testament that is the chosen nation of God, the spiritual seed that's been around from the very beginning. I proved it by going to Isaiah chapter 45, which talks about how the seed of Israel, the, the that, let me just quote it one more time here, because it's worth mentioning in Isaiah 45, just to show you that that spiritual seed has always been around, it's always been there, it goes all the way back to the beginning, and that's what, who you know, the, the promise, that's what was made, it was made to Abraham and his seed, and the Bible says in Isaiah 45, and the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory, and of course we later on learn in Galatians 3, Galatians 4, which says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, that these Christ-rejecting Jews uh, they're not God's chosen people. The physical nation is no more. It was completely destroyed in 70 AD. All that's left is a spiritual nation, and they're chosen by God, and the nation is made up of believers. So we talked about that. And of course, Brother Graham, I thought those articles were really interesting uh, that you showed there. Is it true? Are we a lot closer to the end than most people think? I think it's possible. I mean, like like we talk about at church sometimes, 
there's some points of it where, you know, it just seems like, hey, this is a little further away than we think. But then when you see things like that and what's going on over there, you know, there could obviously be something. I read another article where they have all the materials and everything to build the temple stockpiled, just ready to go. So, like, as soon as they got the land that they're seeking after. And uh, I think I shared an article with you earlier where Jared Kushner's peace agreement of the century that kind of fell through earlier this year was part of making a deal with Palestine to give up the land that they need and give them land somewhere else. And so there's definitely things in the works that, you know, we don't pay attention to in the news and kind of things like that. And so they're definitely actively working towards that. And we can see with articles like what we've looked at tonight that, you know, things could happen more quickly or, you know, through the political realm, it could take longer than they want to. But they're definitely, you know, getting ready for it to happen. And so it's definitely something to take heed to and pay attention to. I agree with that. Any last words, Brother Graham, before we wrap it up? It was a pleasure to do this with you. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. I had a good time, and I really enjoyed uh, the information that you shared with the audience tonight. Those articles were great. Hearing your testimony on uh, understanding this doctrine and some of your favorite verses that would debunk it. So I had a really good time, but anything else you wanted to, to say before we close the show? Has it already been an hour? It has. We didn't even get to talk about Romans 11. We have not. What would you say if you had an opportunity to quickly summarize Romans 11? Well, I don't know if you can quickly summarize it. We talked about this before, about quickly summarizing things, and I have trouble with that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think with the parable of the olive tree, there's a lot there to kind of just take in with the Old Testament and the New Testament and how that tree, how people have always been grafted in and that there's always been branches cut off all the way from Genesis to Revelation till, till, till all this end times prophecy takes place. And so, you know, I was kind of hoping we were going to get into that a little bit, but since we're out of time, there will be another day, I guess. Let's do it. I mean, honestly, the way that I look at Romans 11, and I'm going to do a sermon on it in a few weeks, is that, and I'm, I'm where I'm going to go into in-depth on it, on one of our Wednesday night Bible studies in, uh, in at Steadfast Jacksonville, just go verse by verse on Romans chapter 11. But to me, this is what it's teaching, and, and perhaps we'll look at it a little bit differently, I don't know. Romans 11, all it's articulating, and folks, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, it says in Romans 11, uh, in verse number 25, where it talks about, I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, Brother Graham. Now, here's what I think. This is all that the Bible is articulating right here. That at the time Paul is writing this epistle to the Romans, 
within the nation of Israel, some people are saved, some people are unsaved. You have, uh, you know, earlier in the chapter it talks about how the election have obtained it, have obtained salvation, but the rest were blinded. So there's a portion of Israel that's blinded, and there's a portion of Israel that is saved, and they are the spiritual seed. Romans 11.25 explains that, and it says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. There are going to be unsaved Israelites until the end of time. But here's the thing. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that occurs at the millennium. Because the Bible tells us, if you go to Luke chapter 21, it talks about how the uh, how Jerusalem is going to be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles has come in. And then you compare that with Revelation chapter 11 where it talks about how the two witnesses are going to prophesy. I'll just read it in Romans in Revelation 11 real quickly here. Uh, if you go there in your Bible. Overtime in the podcast. Yeah, it, this won't take long, I, but it, it, is, it is important to mention this at the end here in Romans chapter 11. So it says, uh, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. So it talks about how they're going to be the two witnesses, how their ministry will continue until the end of Daniel's 70th week, 40 and two months. Well, what happens at the end of Daniel's 70th week? The seventh trumpet sounds and brings in the millennium. So basically, at that point, the blindness is removed from Israel because the millennium is starting. And so Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem after the battle of Armageddon and the judgment seat of Christ and all the rest of it. So then we get to Romans 11:26, and so all Israel shall be saved. Well, here's the question. Who is all Israel, Brother Graham? All Israel consists of everybody who's ever been saved, and Romans 9 proves that, okay? The Israel of God will be the saved people. We believe Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Yes. All right. So here's the point I'm trying to make. All Israel is everybody who's ever been saved. And so when the Bible tells us the blindness is removed from physical Israel— and all Israel is saved in Romans 11:26. All it's articulating is that when Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem during the millennium, everybody in Israel will be saved. Everybody who is considered Israel will be saved. Absolutely. Anything you want to add to that? And I think that that's what the the parable of the olive tree is getting you to see. Exactly. It's just a, it's just a picture of it, you know. And so, uh, to make to make it a picture, you went through doing all the words of it. But if you were to just kind of go back and take that tree and go all the way back into Genesis, there's always been people that were cut off, even though they were of the physical seed, but they were not circumcised in the heart. They were cut off. And as we go all the way through till now, currently, you have people that are now the Jews, anybody who would be of the physical seed, if you will, today, they have to be grafted back in. You take an, an Apostle Paul as a prime example of that. Somebody who was a Jew who needed to be grafted back in because he was unbelieving, but then he was grafted into that tree. And that's just how I see it. Yeah, I think that makes absolute 
sense. And, you know, a, a part of the chapter as well there in Romans 11, the reason why we're covering this is, of course, the Zionists love to take it out of context and claim that all the Jews are just going to magically get saved at the yeah. end of Daniel's 70th week or at the rapture or whenever they think it's going to happen. But the thing is, you know, it's clearly not talking about that. And Paul makes the point in Romans 11, he says, it's still possible for them to be saved in that he's proof that they can still be saved. He says, hey, I'm an Israelite, and yet I believed on Christ, I got saved, and so they can too, but the thing is is that the only way they can be saved and get grafted in is if they abide still not in unbelief. Exactly. And that's, that's, what, it says. that's what it says in Romans 11, 16. For if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy... So are the branches. There it is. Excellent. So look out for a full sermon on this. I'll be preaching on October the 2nd. That's a Wednesday night at Steadfast Jacksonville. You can subscribe to the Steadfast Baptist Jacks. Excuse me, you can subscribe to the Steadfast Baptist Jacks YouTube channel if you want to check that out. I'll probably re-upload it on Ben the Baptist, but I really look forward to preaching that sermon. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to get into that chapter. I love that chapter, Graham. Even if it is misinterpreted by so many people, I think it is, uh, it's teaching a really cool truth that one day everyone in Israel is going to be saved. Everyone who's considered Israel the physical nation one day will be presided over by Jesus Christ himself, and everyone who is Israel is going to be saved. There's going to be no more physical unsaved Israelites during the millennium because they're going to be wiped out. Yeah. God not done with Israel, right? Not done yet. <laughs> All right, Brother Graham. Any last words tonight? That's it, man. I enjoyed being on. Thanks for having me. All right, folks. That's it for the podcast. I really appreciate you all tuning in, all the people who listened live, and, of course, everybody who ended up listening on the archive, whether it's on YouTube or on one of the uh, podcast platforms that I upload this show to. Make sure you tune in again next Monday night at 9 o'clock Eastern for another episode of the show. It's going to be a really interesting one. I don't know if I have discretion to give up what the plans are just yet. I'll just say that there will be several guests on and there will be more information in the coming week here. So until then, God bless you. I really appreciate the support as usual. Uh, just hope that you guys continue to learn, continue to grow, continue to read your Bible as I'm doing. Okay, I'm not any different than anyone else. I still have a ton of things that I got to learn and a ton of things, a ton of areas in which I have to grow. So let's do it together. So subscribe to the channel if you want some more con if you want some more content. YouTube.com slash Ben the Baptist. Until next time, I'll talk to you guys again after a while.